Our scripture reading today comes from Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. Uh, Great to see you this morning. My name is Lisa Watson, and um, I'm a pastor here at Christ City Church. I'm, uh, I also work as the Leadership Development and Training Director at the Christian Community Development Association. Um, so I love getting these opportunities to preach and share um, what God has for us to hear. We are starting a new series this week called Everyday Battles. Over the course of the next several weeks, we'll look at things that we struggle with in our everyday lives. Things like doubt, worry, money, busyness. Um, And our hope through the course of this series is to bring into perspective the reality that our everyday battles and the insufficiencies that we face in the midst of them are spaces for Christ's sufficiency to be made manifest and for his work of transformation to be accomplished in us. And so today, we are going to begin with the very uplifting and encouraging everyday battle of disappointment. That wasn't very funny. Nobody laughed. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. A couple of weeks ago, I began considering what passage to preach from. And, um, And after giving it some thought, I couldn't really think of any, like, passages that really were about disappointment. So I decided, you know, just grab the Bible. There's a concordance in the back. You can find verses um, where disappointment is listed. So that is, of course, what I did. And this is what I found. It is a slide um, of one verse, one verse in the Bible, and it says this, in you they trusted and were not disappointed. Not only is there just one verse in the whole Bible that even mentions being disappointed, it's a verse about not being disappointed. I can't preach a sermon on disappointment and not talk about, and talk about not being disappointed. That's just not going to work. So, not being deterred, I decided to pursue a more powerful research resource, and... uh, And I just figured maybe they ran out of space. I mean, like, you know, it's not a real big Bible. It's not an exhaustive concordance. Maybe they just didn't list the sources, the many verses um, that spoke about disappointment. Um, So what did I do? I consulted the internet. Um, So here's what I found on my internet search. Yeah, it says, oops, we couldn't find anything matching disappointment. Um, So I decided not to preach a sermon today. Sorry and good luck with your disappointment. The truth is that despite the fact that there is 
virtually not one passage or verse in the Bible that specifically uses the language of disappointment or being disappointed. The scriptures are full of stories of people who dealt with, their, with disappointment in their everyday lives, just like we do. David faced personal disappointment after committing adultery and basically murdering his lover's husband. Job, who did everything right and yet faced the suffering of painful sickness and grief of losing his entire family and all his possessions. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, who was barren and struggled with the disappointment of not being able to have a family for so many years. Then God did give her a son, Isaac, and it's possible she was around to watch her family unravel as envy and deceit and favoritism nearly tore Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau apart. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. He was called basically to professional failure. God told him ahead of time that he would speak this message to his people and that they would never listen to him. They would never listen to him. That's a pretty disappointing calling. I'd probably cry too. Professional, family, personal disappointments. The Bible is full of stories about disappointment. And that highlights the first point of the message today, and that is disappointment is inevitable. I feel like Captain Obvious pointing out that we live in a fallen world, and because of that, that we are just going to face disappointment. Since Adam and Eve got the big boot from God, um, as a result of their sin in the Garden of Eden, this world is not what it was created to be. We were created to live in perfect harmony with ourselves, one another, with creation and our creator. So living in the brokenness of the here and now is going to be disappointing. Romans reminds us, in fact, that all the creation groans, waiting in expectation for the redemption of God. An entire book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, is written about the meaninglessness of life. That's depressing, isn't it? <laughs> in fact, Jesus himself was disappointed. He wept in disappointment when his friend Lazarus died. So disappointment is inevitable. I've already mentioned several biblical characters who faced disappointment. Um, but we're going to take a look at, at Moses today um, and consider the disappointments he faced. First, he faced disappointment with himself. Moses was a murderer. One day, he saw an Egyptian guard beating a Hebrew slave, and in his anger, and because of the oppression that his people were facing, he went out and he beat that guard to death. Um, because Pharaoh then was after him and, and wanted to take Moses' life, he had to flee to a land called Midian, where he lived for several decades. So he lived with the disappointment of the choice that he made to take another man's life. And he lived with the disappointment of having to not live in his home for years and years on end. So much of his life, actually, was lived in Midian. When God called him to return to Egypt and liberate his people from slavery, we see that Moses faced the disappointment of his own leadership and his, and his ability to communicate. He tells God at the burning bush, I can't talk, God. I'm not a good leader, God. I just, I just don't have what it takes, God. 
and he was faced with his own limitations. And he was, and he was disappointed in the gifts that he had. We all can relate to Moses in feeling disappointed with ourselves, can't we? We're disappointed and we're grieved by our sin, and we tend to dislike the consequences of sin. We can be disappointed by choices that we make that aren't necessarily sinful, but they're just not the best. Like Moses, we're often disappointed with the things that we don't feel good at. In an age of of Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, it is so easy to, to just scroll and see the things that people are so good at. The, the successes that they have, and quickly we can begin to compare those things to what we feel like are our insufficiencies, are the things that we lack. We compare their strengths with our weaknesses, and we feel so insufficient and disappointed with ourselves. We focus not on what we have, but on what we don't have. Living with limitations in an age of rapid technological advances gets harder every day. We feel like we should be able to learn more, do more, be more. And the truth is that we were designed with limitations. God is the only one who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing. We were not designed to be God. Therefore, our limitations can actually be seen as gifts to us. But the problem is they don't feel like gifts, do they? When I face the fact that I can't write as quickly or as well as my colleagues at work, or when I focus on how hard it is for me to write sermons compared to what I feel like the other pastors and staff do, I feel disappointed. When I don't hold my tongue and I hurt my kids' feelings, rather than listen to them patiently, all these limitations, they feel like problems. And they feel like deficiencies, and they don't feel like gifts. Years ago, uh, when I lived in Fresno, I was sharing some real struggles I was having at the time with a friend. Um, I was just, I was tired. I was tired of having to confront my brokenness, and I just wanted to be free from it. And I, I mean, it was, um, it was a lot of angst um, in this conversation. Um, I just wanted to be free, and she told me something that I'll never forget. She said, Lisa, don't ever despise the things that bring you to the foot of the cross. Man, that has stuck with me. Our limitations, our failures, our thorns in the flesh are all things that continue to bring us to Jesus if we let them. And in that, they are gifts. Personal disappointment is not the only kind of disappointment we struggle with. There's also disappointment with others and and with our circumstances. Moses struggled with this too. When he got back to Egypt and he confronted Pharaoh and asked Pharaoh to let the people go, Pharaoh denied him over and over and over. He even, you know, Pharaoh even sort of like postured like, well, you know, you know, yeah, I will let you go, you know, just ask again. And then he'd ask, or he would do what Pharaoh would want, and then Pharaoh would change his mind. And that is so frustrating. The stubbornness of people in our lives can be so disappointing. 
And, there's the, the, and then there's the situation with the golden calf. So Moses goes up to the mountain, and he's gone for, for a little while. Um, he's meeting with God up on the mountain, and the people are left down um, in the valley. And they begin to wonder, is he ever coming back? When is he coming back? What are we going to worship? How are we going to do? And they lost all of their sensibilities, and they decided that they should make an idol to worship. Now, Moses had been given Aaron, his brother, to do this, like, this work of calling the people out of, of Egypt and, um, and into the Exodus. And God did that, right? God helped him because Moses was the one who complained, I can't do this, Lord, I can't talk. So he said, okay, I'll give you your brother Aaron. And so Aaron is in this thing together with Moses. And when the people start wigging out entirely, and they think that the best thing to do is build an idol to worship, do you know what Aaron does? He helps them. He says, give me all of your jewelry, let's melt it down, and we'll fashion this golden calf. And Moses comes back down from the mountain and he sees all these people worshiping a golden calf and he loses his mind because he is so disappointed with their choices. He is so disappointed with his brother who was charged to do this ministry with him, with his business partner, if you will, helping the people fall into sin and not worship God. Consider that they were wandering in the desert for 40 years. He led a seriously whining and grumbling people for 40 years in the desert, wandering. 40 years feels like a long time to me to do any one thing. 40 years wandering. Sounds awful. 40 years of wandering in the desert. barren, sandy, hot, cold, grumbling people, those are some seriously disappointing circumstances. You and I know the feeling of being disappointed with our circumstances and people in our lives. You may have come here today feeling disappointed with someone in your family. Maybe you're not sure if your marriage is going to work out. Or maybe you're not sure that marriage will ever be in the cards for you. And that is equally disappointing. Perhaps you're wrestling with um, the disappointment of not getting that job that you wanted. Maybe you didn't get a call back after that first date again. Grad school application denial, financial struggle, undiagnosed pain, unresolved anxiety and depression, all of these things are everyday disappointments that we face. Some of you have disappointment with the church. Some of you may even have disappointment with me. Many of us have disappointment with systems that remain unjust despite decades of civil rights struggle. Dr. King, um, whose life and legacy we celebrated this week, expressed his deep disappointment in his letter from the Birmingham jail. He wrote, I must confess that over the last few years I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. 
I've I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goals that you seek but I can't agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically feels like he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait until a more convenient season. For many of us in the room, we feel the stinging disappointment of the pervasive racial injustice in our country. We long for the church to be at the forefront of the conversation. But the church is busying itself fashioning golden calves of beautiful sanctuaries with perfect sound systems, cool cafes, and trendy gift stores. Lord, help us. We're disappointed. I'm disappointed. Systems, others, and our circumstances disappoint us. When the church cares more about those things than families who are being torn apart, and kids who can't come home to their parents because of deportation and unjust systems, friends, we have a problem. And it is disappointing. The truth is that sometimes God disappoints us too. In fact, all disappointments can ultimately land in the Godosphere, I think. He's sovereign over the world. He's all-powerful and all-knowing. So when I'm disappointed, it's easy to wonder why he didn't let things turn out differently. Did Moses feel disappointed with God? I think so. A direct result of Moses' obedience in returning to Egypt and asking Pharaoh to let his people go was increased suffering for the Israelites. Things did not get better for them when Moses came back. Moses, uh, Pharaoh ordered that the slaves work harder his presence and his obedience and faithfulness to God created more suffering. I bet he had a conversation with God about that. Another example we read about in Exodus is that he was frustrated with all the complaining from the Israelites. It says, then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I supposed to do with these people? And I just think it probably says after that, it's just not written there, that you gave me. <laughs> he was disappointed in them. And I think it's safe to suppose some of that disappointment got directed God's way too. What about you? What disappointments with God have you been facing lately? A couple of months ago, I had a very disappointing morning. 
I got an email from Nathan's teacher saying that he was talking in class, and we had gotten a few emails from Nathan's teacher saying that he had been talking in class. And if you know Nathan, he's like totally a social kid, so that's not going to surprise you. Um, I, um, so I thought, okay, well, I'll just mention it to him. We were in the midst of our morning routine. And I just thought, well, let me just mention it to him before we get out the door for school. He comes into the kitchen. I had my laptop open. And I just said, we got this email from Mr. your teacher. And, um, and I just thought, it'll be fine. Well, he'll just say, oh, man, OK, I'll do better. And it didn't go that way. Um, and so there was this like a little bit of back and forth in the kitchen. And I was like, oh, no. Uh, this is not going as planned. Um, and things just really spiraled. Um, we, we got into the car, and the tensions were really high. You know, it's, it's 45 minutes to his school in the morning because we, we crossed town. Um, there were points um, in the conversation where he was so frustrated. He's, Mom, I've got to get out of the car. It was really hard. Um, we, were, we were frustrated. We were angry. Um, nothing was resolved when he got out of the car. You know, I mean, I'm sure I told him, okay, bud, I love you. You know, we'll see you this afternoon. But nothing was resolved. We were both hurting. So Matthew was away. And, um, and so, like, I'm just thinking, who am I going to call? Like, I need to call somebody. I have to talk to somebody. This is hard. Um, I dropped the other two kids off um, at their school and three blocks away from the school. My um, and immediately I knew something was wrong when I heard his voice. So um, I didn't share what my morning had been like. I just asked him, what's, what's happening? And he said, we lost grace. And uh, we hung up, and I was devastated at the intersection of Massachusetts and, and 34th Street Northwest. I was undone. The connections happened in my mind without any, like it was nothing I could do to stop them. She was a pastor's kid. Nathan is a pastor's kid. Her dad would never have the opportunity to tell her he loved her again. And I had had the opportunity that morning to love Nathan better, and I didn't. I missed it. I was so grieved and so disappointed. I'm going to leave the story there for now. Because disappointment with God and others and our circumstances and ourselves is inevitable, our perspective about those disappointments is imperative. So let's take a look back into the life of Moses, but through a New Testament lens. Hebrews 11, 24 through 27 says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. There's two things I learned from Moses in these verses about perspective. First, he was, in, he was able to endure hardship because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, I almost never think about my heavenly rewards when I'm in the middle of disappointing circumstances. But the, the scriptures clearly indicate that this is good and uh, it's a good and appropriate perspective. And, and sometimes it's all we have left. Things in our lives feel so desperate and difficult that it actually helps to turn our gaze to the eternal so that we have a fuller view of reality. The reality is that this is not all there is. The work of the cross and resurrection reminds us that death is defeated, redemption has happened, and renewal, when all things will be made right, is coming. We just celebrated a big part of that last weekend with Easter. The eternal perspective reminds us of the truth of God and Jesus. Everyday battles are reality, and they exist within the eternal perspective. So friends, when disappointment and discourage, discouragement won't leave your doorstep, look ahead to your reward. And remember that this isn't all there is. A time will come when all things will be restored. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more disappointments. We will, re we will have the reward of the, of the, hear me, we will have the reward of the tangible presence of God for eternity. And we will live together with him in the new heaven and the new earth. Now that doesn't make disappointment go away, um, but it does put it into perspective. The second thing that I learned from Moses um, in this, this passage is, um, is that he saw him who was invisible. So that might sound a little funny if you're like not yet a follower of God because how can someone see, see something that's invisible? That's weird. Um, so no, Moses was not endowed with superhero x-ray vision. Um, but because of the way that God shaped him through his disappointments during his wandering in the wilderness, he was able to see God. Justin reminded us on Ash Wednesday that there is a point and a purpose to the disappointing desert places of our lives. And for Moses and the Israelites, the 40 years in the desert wasn't merely a curse for their disobedience. God knew that his people were not spiritually ready for the promised land. So the wilderness is where God formed them and transformed them. From a people who yearned for the safety of slavery and complained to God constantly into the people of God, who were willing to walk around the walls of an enemy city doing nothing but blowing their horns. And that was how they would achieve victory. Transformation happened in the desert for the Israelites. They would never have been ready for Jericho had they not had the 40, 40 years in the wilderness. They developed the ability to see and hear God. 
Screw Tape Letters is one of C.S. Lewis's popular works. It's a story consisting of a series of letters written by a senior demon named Screwtape to his nephew Wormwood, a younger and less experienced demon charged with guiding a man toward our father below, which is Satan, um, from the enemy of God, who is God. So it's all backwards, just remember that. Um, in one letter, Screwtape writes to Wormwood, uh, he describes the process God uses to grow and strengthen us in seasons of difficulty. This is what it says. He leaves the creature to stand on its two legs to carry from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during such tough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the creature he wants it to be. Hence, the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those that please him best. He cannot tempt virtue as we can vice. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks around a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. Even when we feel forsaken in our disappointment, God is there and he is developing in us eyes to see, ears to hear, and feet to walk towards him. Now, perspective is imperative, but it is difficult to have on our own. And we need our community to help reinforce the truth of the gospel to us, to remind us that this beautiful mess of life isn't all there is. Community helps us hold out our hope when we just don't know that we have one more ounce of hope to muster. We need our community to help us see when we can't see and to hear through the noise of the disappointment in our lives, the voice of God who is calling us from disappointment to hope in Christ. Back to the morning of disappointment. I was sitting in my car now on Massachusetts next to the British Embassy after having turned off 34th Street. I was completely stunned and uncertain of what to do or who to call. It was a little bit early in the morning and I didn't want to hassle anybody. About 15 seconds passed of this sort of bewildered sadness of me scrolling through the lists in my minds of people who I could call, but then I maybe shouldn't and didn't know what to do, and I'm feeling sad. About 15 seconds passed before my phone rang. It was my mom. Relieved and unsure how I would navigate this conversation, I answered the phone. Hello? Hi, Lisa, it's mom. How are you? That was all it took. I just said, I'm not very well. And, um, and I poured it all out to her. Um, and she listened, and she didn't try to fix it. And she prayed for me on the phone. And she talked me through an idea I had for how to reconnect with Nathan. And she helped me have perspective 
in my disappointment. That is what community does. That is what family does in the midst of despairing disappointment. At the end of the call, my disappointment wasn't gone. Grace wasn't back. Nathan was still at school. But I could sense the hope and love of Christ, and that was the thing that my soul needed most in that moment. Disappointment is inevitable. Perspective is imperative, and hope is found in Christ. Dr. King articulated it so well in saying, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. And we know that infinite hope is not an abstract element of the universe, but that infinite hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. He is the source of hope. It's true. But I think it's important to ask, is he the source of our hope? Is he the source of your hope? Is he the source of my hope? It's easy in our educated and upwardly mobile privilege to hope in a number of other things that are poor substitutes for the hope that is found in Christ. Author and social psychologist Christina Cleveland puts it like this. We privileged folks often put our faith in our weapons of privilege, the strong critical thinking skills we acquired at our fancy liberal arts college, the professional networks of attorneys, business leaders, pastors, and community, community leaders that we have on our speed dial and the relative ease with which we can raise money for a good cause. These efforts might be fueled by good intentions, but often they lead us to focus on the finite weapons of privilege rather than the infinite well of hope that is found in, only in God. They lure our eyes and our hearts and our busy bodies toward the finite resources of the world rather than the infinite power, wisdom, hope, and freedom that we can encounter if we simply stop and turn our eyes, hearts, and bodies toward our infinite creator. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 encourages us with these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When the everyday battle of disappointment creeps up, or even if it's been kicking our tail for a really long time, the hope that we have comes in knowing and experiencing the sufficiency of Christ in our struggle. It comes in fixing our eyes on Jesus, on, in setting our mental and spiritual gaze on him, and letting the other weapons we want to fight that battle with fall away from our view as we orient to Jesus and steady focus on him. Practically, there are a few ideas for how to do that. First, I'd say resist cynicism and unbelief. 
it will drain you dry if you just keep letting cynicism and unbelief cultivate in your heart. Another thing is be honest. Be honest with your thoughts and your feelings to God. When you pray, tell him how you feel. When you're disappointed, tell him why you're disappointed. Have conversations with God where you're really vulnerable. Have conversations with your community where you're really vulnerable because your community will help give you perspective. Y'all are already on your way there. You're here this morning. You're in church. This is one more way to continue to steady your gaze on Jesus. You can attend a small group and get plugged in in that way. And one last thing is practice gratitude. This was my Lenten practice, actually. Um, and, and one word of caution, I think it's, I've, I've had this happen to me where, um, where I'm just like, well, I'm really thankful for my car today. I don't have to drive, I don't have to ride a bike, or I don't have to walk or take the bus. But while that is good, it's a start. But what it isn't is not anchored in who the giver of that is. And if we're going to do battle with disappointment, we need to anchor ourselves in the truth of God's goodness to us. So when you're thankful, be thankful to God. One thing you could just do is, is maybe do a practice of daily prayer and start your daily prayer with five things that you're thankful to, to God. Be thankful to him. Beautiful things grow in the soil of disappointment when we bring them to Jesus. You may have noticed the seeds at your seat. Normally, during our response time at the end of the service, we take communion. We're having community lunch today, so we are not taking communion. Um, so as a response today, what I want you to consider doing um, is taking some of those seeds. Um, and they can represent seeds of disappointment um, that you have either currently in your life or maybe disappointments that you just haven't given over to God. Maybe it's not an everyday thing for you now, but you know that it's still there and it's just a matter of time before it pops up again. I would invite you to take those seeds and, and come up when the band comes, and they'll be coming in a minute when I pray. When the band comes up as a way of response, bring your seeds, put them in the pot. There's these two pots here at the front. There's also pots at the prayer stations. Because the truth is, that seeds of disappointment, when planted in the soil of the Spirit in Jesus, become beautiful things. That is how beautiful things are made, is we give them over to God. This can be your first practice of hope today, even your first act of thankfulness as you shed the things that have hindered you and you look to Jesus for satisfaction and for sufficiency. Would you pray with me? Jesus, uh, <clears throat> thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the ways that you pursue us, 
and that you take the things that are disappointing to us day in and day out and you transform them. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be faithful in bringing you our disappointments. Pray that you would find us faithful um, in sharing the truth with one another when we face disappointments. Help us to encourage one another with the truth of your gospel. Thank you for being our source of hope. Thank you for being the model of hope that we can look to. I pray that you would do your work in us now, God, as we relinquish the things that we have held on to and the disappointments that we've held. Help us to leave them at your feet and to trust and hope that you will make something beautiful out of them. We pray these things in Jesus' name.